0: Hey, hey, beer fans! Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn.
1: And I'm Drew Beecham. Together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Bad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Homebrewing. Now available at all your finest retailers. And making fine Christmas gifts for those you love
0: That's right
1: Now between the two of us, we have over 50 years of homebrewing experience I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange
0: ideas And I'm the guy known for not believing the conventional wisdom and checking it out
1: There we go, don't believe the man, man (laughs) On today's episode, we're going to head into the pub to cover some quick news That's happened since the last time we did a news segment, been a while Uh, And before we head off into the lounge, to go talk about Wet Hops Fresh hops, frozen hops, something hops. (laughs) Good
0: Lord, it's hoppy. That's right. Uh, It's it's a long interview, but there's a lot of great info in it, so we decided we'd leave the whole thing.
1: There you go. But, of course, first, a message from our sponsors.
0: This episode of the Experimental Brewing Podcast is brought to you by you, our listeners. Go to ExperimentalBrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you like to the podcast and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the AHA link to join the American Homebrewers Association. Part of the proceeds from those will go to help support the podcast. And thanks for your support. With Yakima Chief Hops, it's more than a pack of hops. It's supporting family farms. Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier whose mission is to connect hop growers and brewers. Yakima Chief Hops is proud to have an established Return to Grower program which redistributes an average of 75% of their business earnings back to the family farms who grow the hops in your beer. Where you buy your ingredients matters, and with Yakima Chief Hops, it's more than a pack of hops. Learn more at Yakimachief dot com slash return dash growers. Thanks for sticking around. We're back, and as always, we're going to start off with Drew doing an announcement or two. Yep,
1: just some real quick ones. Go check your podcast feed. We've been dropping episodes left and right, kind of uh, close out our year here. Uh, I think the last episode that we dropped on the Brew Files was uh, all about celebration and making your own celebration. So, celebrate, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) I love it when he sings. (laughs) You might be the only person (laughs) in the universe who does. Yeah, nobody loves it when I sing. <laughs> now, don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts, click the AHA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year
0: is... The National Disaster Search Dog Foundation. These wonderful people rescue dogs from shelters and uh, teach them to go out and perform searches for people uh, when disaster strikes, and boy... Let me tell you, we need this more than ever, maybe. Uh, It's a great organization doing great work for all of us. So please go to our website, experimentalbrew.com, click on the Patreon link, throw us a few bucks, and we will pass it along to them.
1: Make the dogs work for their supper or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, whatever. (laughs) All right. Let's get out of here. Let's go have a beer.
0: All right. We're going to head over to the pub, have some beers, and we'll see you there. This
1: episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Give or receive an American Homebrewers Association membership by December 31st and select a free brewing book of your choice. This holiday season, purchase one-year membership and choose from 60 different beer and brewing books to meet your goals. Why I suggest simple homebrewing? Visit homebrewersassociation.org experimental for details. Hurry, this offer expires December 31st.
0: My Yeast's fourth-quarter legacy curation features two legendary strains for autumn brewing, 1968 London ESB Ale and 1728 Scottish Ale. These yeast strains were isolated 30 years ago for our culture collection and continue to be brewmasters' top choices for traditional multi-European ales today. Both are regarded for their high flocculation and suitability for strong and seasonal specialty styles like double I.P smoked and barrel-aged beers, British bitters, barley wine, and more. Completing this curation are two limited-release lager favorites, 2000 Boudvar Lager and 2001 Pilsner Erkel H-Strain. Available now through the end of December, Boudvar Lager delivers rich maltiness and subtle fruit notes while allowing hop character to come through in Czech lagers and German Helles styles. The Pilsner Erkel Strain produces mild floral aromas and a clean, dry powder and full mouthfeel for Czech loggers and bohemian-style pilsners. Catch up on our latest blog posts and learn more about this release at whyeastlab.com. Welcome back. We are sitting here in the Experimental Brewing Pub at the corner of everywhere and nowhere, somewhere in cyberspace, and we're having a couple beers. Uh, As usual, Drew will tell you about his.
1: Yeah, and my beer is not so much the beer that I'm having. It's the beer I wish I'm having. (laughs) (laughs) We referenced this a couple episodes back, uh, but it's Noche Buena uh, from Montezuma uh, Brewery. Probably better known for making what Bohemian and Takate and all that. Uh, it is a 5.9% dark lager. You remember I was talking about making a winter uh, Christmas lager. Uh, right. this is kind of in that inspiration wheelhouse. Uh, unfortunately, Noche Buena doesn't come into this country anymore here in the U.S. Uh, and I've been seeing lots of my friends down in San Diego and in Tijuana posting pictures of them drinking it. And, of course, every time somebody posts them, I'm like going, has that made it back here into the U.S.? And they're like, no, I'm in Mexico. I'm like, dang it. Uh, for whatever reason, they don't bring it into the U.S. anymore. So because of that, I just get to sit here in Los Angeles and kind of look wistfully at all these pictures of Noche Buena. Now, the thing about Noche Buena is it's not spiced. I think some people call it a bach. I don't know if i call it a Yeah, you know, It's not weirdly doctored with anything sort of Uberly Christmassy and, and, you know, spicy type of stuff. It's just a good, malty, rich drinking beer with a little bit of kick behind it. You know, just something a little bit more for when the the sun's a little bit cooler in your neighborhood. Uh, so, I'm having dreams of Noche Buena. And I won't <laughs> sing
0: that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I, I saw it last. Uh, oh, geez, I think maybe like five or s- five, four or five years ago. I was uh, in Mexico judging at the Aro Rojo competition, and uh, somebody there had some, and I had a chance to try it. It was a very good beer. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a shame that you know we can't get it more readily.
1: Yeah, and I'm not kidding. I keep seeing pictures on my feeds from people having it in Mexico, and I'm like, oh, you jerks. Um. So there, <laughs> there you go. Not a beer that, I, that I'm having or had, a beer that I'm dreaming of, Noche Buena. Uh, okay. All right, and Dincenzo?
0: I am uh, having a Delirium Tremens, which is one of my favorite beers, and this version comes from a can. They've been uh, putting it in a can for a few years now. There's uh, always a debate about, uh, you know, whether or not Belgian beer is in a can, uh really have the same quality as the uh, ones in a bottle especially in regards to carbonation apparently they can't get as high a carbonation level in a can and i got to well, say that yeah well, i mean
1: let's make sure that's very clear you know at least in terms of carbonation into a can the problem is usually the canning line so if the right. if the beer's already carbonated uh then it's kind of problematic because the canning lines are all set up to do like 2.5 to 2.75 uh, volumes Belgian beers want to be a little bit higher, and that causes foaming.
0: Yeah, and I I don't, I don't think that this had as much carbonation as what I recall from DT in a bottle, but it wasn't bad. And hey, look at it this way: you just burp less.
1: (laughs) But I like the Belgian burps.
0: Yeah, but, you know, maybe you don't get as full from it. I, I don't know. Uh, but I had two of them yesterday and didn't mind at all. So, uh, I was going to say after I two, two, you probably say, didn't. <laughs> well, and that was following a row for 10, too. So, <laughs> uh, But, uh, you know, I would say that if you get a chance to try delirium tremens in a can and you like delirium tremens, go do it. Don't be put off.
1: Now, I wonder. So uh, what, that's probably Hugo, right? Um. I wonder if yeah. they're canning in Belgium or if they're doing like bulk tank shipment and then canning over here cuz I know that's happened with some things.
0: Yeah, you know, and I I couldn't say for sure. I, I want to I feel like I heard that they were shipping in bulk and canning over here, but I don't want to uh, misguide anybody, so just forget I said that.
1: Well, so if anybody does know, uh let us know so that we can know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, somebody has something better than my uh, vague guess.
1: There you go. But uh now I I do think it's interesting to see some of these in in cans. Uh, what was I saying the other day? Oh yeah, uh the uh Saint Bernard's Christmas beer is also in cans.
0: Uh Oh really? Yeah, and I haven't run across that yet.
1: Yeah, and I I had one of those uh, actually last year and the label came off because it was just a plastic sleeve and the <laughs> label underneath it was for some Japanese beer from uh, not from Bernardus. <laughs>
0: So uh, probably the canning facility was just using leftover cans. Yeah, exactly.
1: So I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the Bernardus was pretty good. I, I would like to see the carbonation thing. I know that people reported last year when DuPont came in for the first time that there were right. carbonation levels. Um, But this year's batch was better. So <laughs> just takes time to dial in those Belgian beers in the canning yeah,
0: line. Yeah, yeah. It, it probably takes time to get it all figured out and do it right.
1: There you go. All right, well, while we're having these beers, or I'm having my wish beer, uh, let's get into the beer (laughs) news, and a couple things have happened since we've last talked about the beer news. I think the one that that kind of flared up the fastest and then kind of got resolved-ish and was a good lesson in why the Internet of Things sometimes is not the world's best idea uh, was from Plato.io. So if you don't know Plato.io from just the name, they are a manufacturer that works to sort of make smart instrumentation for brewing and they're probably best known for their airlock. Right. The, which is essentially a bubble counter. And the whole idea was you could monitor your fermentation and figure out where your gravities were just by looking at the rate of change in terms of CO2 evolution. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what they say. uh, Go ahead. Yeah. uh, there, There are a couple of things that the, but a couple of other products that they've had, like, you know, so not only the airlock, which was their first thing, I think the most useful one they had was the the anti-suckback valve, because uh, that was just a piece of uh, mechanical plastic. Uh, but they also have a whole keg system that allows you to measure the weight of the kegs and be able to report back on how much beer is left in your kegs and do all sorts of smart tracking with that, which, yeah, if that's your thing, that's your thing and more power to you. Um, but the reason why we're talking about this is Plato started as a homebrew supply company in terms of like supplying these products to homebrewers. Uh, they eventually decided, you know what would be good? Let's do this from a professional point of view. Because a lot of microbreweries, you know, the smaller craft breweries don't necessarily have the wherewithal to go and be like the big guys. The big guys all have sensors in their tanks that, that tell them all the various details about the beer that's in the tank. But, you know, is there a way to inexpensively make a product to allow craft brewers to sort of ad hocly discover what's going on in their fermentation tanks? And so, Plato has moved into that market with their Play-Doh Pro. And all that's well and good until about, I think it's now about three weeks ago as we record this, they put on their Instagram and their Facebooks a statement from their uh, founders to basically say, yeah, so you know those uh, Play-Doh airlock and kegs and valves? Uh, We decided to discontinue them. We're no longer going to support the, the, the homebrewing market. And the Internet service that we run that does all the monitoring for the valve, or not, sorry, not the valve, the airlock and the the keg, uh, well, we're going to let that run for two years and then we're shutting it off. And
0: <laughs> Basically, a uh, screw you to all the people who'd spent money on their products. Yeah, and,
1: and by the way, keep in mind, I mean, these airlocks are not cheap. I think uh, when I no. looked, like the airlock was like 130 bucks.
0: Uh, yeah, something like and that. And the,
1: the kegs were like in the same line. They discounted them when they announced the discontinuation, of course. But uh, they're, they're like, oh yeah, you know, here, here we go. We're just going to do this. You get two more years of using our products, and then uh, they're bricks. Very fancy bricks. Uh, as one can imagine, the homebrew community did not react <laughs> with fervor and support of this idea. Uh, they were not a very happy set of campers. And, um yeah, so th- they, they later came back and Plato came came out and said, oh, well, you know, because people naturally went, hey, well, can we set up some sort of open sourcing of this? Can we do something in order to make it so, so that people can run mini servers locally, kind of like what people had done with the peakovers. Um, in order to keep this thing that I paid money for working? And Plato came back and they'd said oh, no, sorry, we can't do that. The way we architected this thing you know, when we created it doesn't allow us to do that sort of thing. And the homebrewing community said some very nasty words and called them a bunch of uh, stinking liars, let's put it that way, uh, and offered their suggestions about how to do it. And so about a week after announcing that this product was no longer going to be supported, Plato basically said, all right, all right, we yield, we yield. And (laughs) they've brought in a bunch of very smart homebrewers to sit there and work essentially on a research project to discover what they can do in order to keep longevity and use of these particular airlocks and kegs and all that sort of fun stuff. So the homebrew community got banding together to keep their product that they love, uh, and Plato learning a very important lesson about how not to announce a product line change.
0: But they're not going to be still manufacturing or selling them to homebrewers, correct?
1: Yeah, no, no, no. It looks like the products themselves are still discontinuing. But what they 're trying to figure out how to do is basically yeah you know, if the the airlock is out there talking to an internet uh, based server, how can you sort of intercept that traffic and redirect it and you know use it locally um, and so
0: i would I would take that with a grain of salt actually, but you know that's that 's me you know how i 'm skeptical but but you know i mean what what 's in it for them? I mean, why should they do this
1: My biggest reason to think about it is. You know, there's still that pipeline from homebrewers to professional brewers. So if they've made the their homebrewing proto-pro-brewer market mad, uh, it kind of sullies their name for anybody who's going professional. You know, it's kind of like how Microsoft always gives away word to students. Um yeah so
0: except that the, except that there are a lot more students than there are home brewers who become commercial brewers yeah. I don't know you know we'll we'll see uh and maybe they will uh if it doesn't cost them any money, if it costs them money, I just can't see what their incentive is, but you know we'll just see what happens yeah. huh
1: but yeah i i to me, I thought it was basically like, oh, oops, kind of stepped in that one, didn't we <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah I, I don't know why they couldn't see that coming, but and, and that's another thing that doesn't give me much confidence in them if, if they couldn't have foreseen what would happen if they did something like that
1: uh, i mean i can see I can see how that i mean if you're so focused on what you're trying to do that you don't think down the uh, downing the, the consequences I can totally see somebody missing it, but it was still uh, it was still very much like the you know we're in a Hollywood movie and somebody stepped on a landmine and you hear the click.
0: Even if that's true, it doesn't speak very well of the company if they couldn't see it coming.
1: No, but speaking of seeing things coming, maybe yes. you need help to see how things are coming, and you want to turn to the tarot. <laughs> um, so the the tarot has enjoyed a revival, I guess. I mean, there's been a lot of interest in the tarot over the past uh, decade or so, kind of reborn. Uh, and, of course, the beer world is no different. And so, uh, Kelsey Say... Uh, has been running a Kickstarter, and I think the Kickstarter itself is now actually closed, but she's got uh, additional packs still available for sale. She's made a whole illustrated tarot deck that's built around the beer world. Uh, And so, you know, everything in it is beer-related. So if if you are interested in that sort of thing, if you find that uh, kind of fascinating, because I think it's fun, uh, you can go and we'll include the link to the Kickstarter and be able to actually get your hands on a beer tarot deck that's supposed to be coming out uh, next year. So, uh, you know, hey, maybe even give it as a gift. Then you can tell the future. <laughs> In my future, I yeah. see another beer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> see, that's easy, you know?
1: <laughs> but, I mean, I, I will also say, I, one of the things I like on this tarot deck is it sort of harkens back a little bit to the to the classic tarot deck that most people probably know, which is the uh, the Rider-Waite tarot uh, deck. Uh, tarot but everything in it is sort of very art deco illustrations so you know a little bit of that art nouveau uh, type of thing so it's kind of at least cool art if nothing else so there you go <laughs> tell your future with the beer tarot yeah right um all right and our last bit of news for today we've obviously been talking a lot about non-alcoholic brewing low alcohol brewing because that is a big and rising trend out there a couple of studies have been released recently that talk about the dangers and risks of brewing non-alcoholic and low-alcoholic beer. If you'll notice, you still don't ever see non-alcoholic beer on draft because it's dangerous to do so. In fact, the Brewers Association puts out a big warning that says don't do this uh, to all of its members. Uh, And so there was one study that was being kicked around that was all about uh, the survivable foodborne pathogens in low- and non-alcoholic craft beer and basically looking around and going, okay, we now have a bunch of places trying to make low-alcohol or non-alcoholic beer, are they being safe about it? Is the product itself actually safe? And it turns out that low-slash-non-alcoholic beer, and when we talk about low-alcohol, you know, that's below 3%, but as you go lower, your risks increase. But once you're below 3%, things start becoming sort of dangerously toxic soup, or risk of dangerously toxic soup. Uh, And particularly if you're under that non-alcoholic threshold, which is 05 then you're really in danger and you have to pay attention to food safety, which is something that most of us brewers don't do. Most of us are right. dummies about this. We kind yeah. of blindly run along, you know, depending upon the safety generated by fermentation and, and alcohol and what on a pH drop to keep our, keep our, our worst mistakes from ourselves. Um, so to the point where actually Lalamon and uh, Lalamon has been, you know, really out there pushing a couple of different uh, processes to make. Uh, low-slash-non-alcoholic beer, uh, including what they have that one you said was it an uh, A-Lab or something like that? Right. Uh, and they've, they've been out there basically going, hey, you know, we have this thing, we can help you make non-alcoholic beer. Uh, they posted a newsletter uh, that basically said, dear homebrewers, don't do this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, right. It was ostensibly to tell you how to do it safely, but the real message was just don't do it. And you know, we get a lot of questions about making non-alcoholic or low-alcohol beer, and and there are a number of ways to go about it. And there's the old boil it until the alcohol comes off, mm-hmm. and it's like you can you can do that, but I don't think you want to drink what's left.
1: Not in um, fact that you're not going to be terribly successful at removing all the alcohol.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So. But one thing that people just are not aware of when they're talking about making non-alcoholic or low-alcoholic beer is the pathogenic possibilities. And believe me, you don't want to go there. It's a whole different thing from the beer you're used to making, which was graphically illustrated to me. When I had a a can of uh, athletic beer, a non-alcoholic beer, super low alcohol beer, it had been stuck in the back of my beer fridge. And uh, I looked in there one day and discovered that it had been sitting in there for a while and it had frozen and split the can open. Now, you know, beer doesn't normally freeze in a refrigerator, even at the back where it's cold. But because there was no alcohol or virtually no alcohol in this beer, it uh, it reacted totally differently. And so keep that in mind in terms of your own health and safety. If you are contemplating brewing a low or no alcohol beer, there are steps that you need to take to keep that beer safe.
1: Yeah, but I I do think it was interesting that uh, Lolloman was basically out there going, uh, hold
0: your horses. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll sell you the stuff to do this, but maybe you want to rethink it.
1: Yeah. So we'll include a link to the study. We'll include a link to Lollomon's uh, notes about you know why I, uh, you need to be very very careful if you're going to do this. Uh, but again, uh, I like to play around making lower alcohol beers, but even for me, I haven't gotten. I haven't gotten the gumption up to do a non-alcohol or below 0.5 type beer. Uh, But I do like having a beer that I can drink all the time that's like, say, two and a half. And yes, that's less safe than a full-strength beer, you know, a beer that's over 3%, but it's also not that bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, and I just drink less. That's kind of been my solution.
1: There you go. But sometimes it's nice to be able to have multiple pints. Uh, Even if they're not uh, particularly if they're not at the strength of two cans of delirium Germans,
0: yeah um on the, the yeah right so, anyway, let's just move on, <laughs> shall we, yeah, let's go talk some hops, okay, we're gonna take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll be in the lounge talking about radical hops. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Airstill Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch 2-in-1 distillation system operates in either pot still or reflex mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug and play. The AirStill Pro Calm cools itself with a built in high powered fan. The Still Spirits AirStill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the AirStill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. Welcome back, and welcome to The Lounge. When we were at HomebrewCon last summer, we ran into a guy named Adrian Cook, who works for a company in Michigan called Blue Lake Hops, and they do something kind of different. They take hops fresh out of the field, wet hops, and they have come up with a method of freezing them to preserve the quality. They worked in conjunction with, uh, like, was it Michigan State University, uh, University of Michigan, one of those guys, um, and they uh, they came up with this, with this plan, this process.
1: Yeah, and so the whole idea, remember that wet hops uh, typically, uh, well, they don't last very long. They turn into mush in about 2.3 seconds. So that's always been a problem for how to do fresh hop beers. And so in this particular case, uh, Blue Lake is trying to make it so that you can have your fresh hops or wet hops, have your wet hops on ice. And good Lord, are we going to go back and forth on the whole wet versus fresh hop thing here in a moment? Uh, (laughs) But wouldn't it be nice to be able to have a wet hop beer at some other point in time? So let's figure this
0: out. So relax, sit back, grab yourself a beer unless you're driving, and listen to Adrian Cook telling us about the Blue Lake Hop process. Hey, everybody. We are over here in the lounge, and today we are talking to Mr. Adrian Cook of Blue Lake Hops. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, Adrian.
2: Hi there. Glad to be talking to both of you. Really excited about it today.
0: Yeah, and and Blue Lake Hops is not your average hop kind of place that you would be thinking of. Uh, One of their big things, or I guess their big thing and the really exciting thing is that they sell frozen fresh hops, so you can make fresh hop beers year-round. Now, Adrian... I, I, I got
2: Sorry, Denny. I got yeah. You guys talked about this on your previous podcast. Fresh right. hops versus wet hops. There's a lot of right. language there that can confuse things. So these are all wet hops picked fresh.
0: Thank you. And you know what, Sierra Nevada... Uh, Multiplies that confusion by saying that, uh, you know, um, a celebration is a fresh hot beer, and everybody assumes that means wet. So, thank mm-hmm. you for correcting me, and hopefully everybody else out there too will uh, will get that. Wait, I, uh, so, I think I just, that
2: that's an ongoing thing where a lot of there's a lot of confusion about the, the the language of that, and honestly, I think it's just that the beer community hasn't just settled on one thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, eventually it will come, um, but it's it's so easy to, well, marketing, how do you describe these things? Um, and if you say it's a wet hop, that doesn't sound as, you know, appetizing as, say, fresh.
1: Adrian, but have you met the brewing community? They can't agree exactly.
2: on anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I th- I think, you know, I in our first book we said ask 10 different brewers about something and you'll get 12 yep. answers, you know. Uh,
2: absolutely absolutely
1: but, uh, by the way i also want to just say uh, say and take a moment to sit in this little period of time where denny got corrected on a brewing term as opposed to two <laughs> ro- uh, 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 it ain't the, the first this- time well i'm just thinking the last time i i said two row and i got eaten eaten that's right that's right that's right <laughs> well and i'm would- trying
2: to save you guys some emails How about that <laughs> Thanks, uh, it's man. Not about correcting denny it's about saving you guys from getting emails no, well, no, let's and, make it about correcting Denny. I like that better.
0: Yeah, right. Well, no, and and I'm all, I'm all about that because I would rather be correct than think that I'm right and be incorrect, you know? So um, I, I appreciate the correction, and I will try to do that better, just like Drew will never say two-row again, right?
1: Oh, hell no. I'm still going to say two-row.
0: <laughs> well, how
2: about just for the sake of today, we use fresh and wet interchangeably, if we all can agree on that. But our hops have not seen any heat at all; uh, right. they are very wet. Um, I mean, once they thaw out, they are just like they were just picked, and you can actually like squeeze the liquid out of them.
1: All right. Well, and I think it's important that that we. I'm going to assume most of our listeners are going to know this, but just in case you don't, uh, I mean, it's important that people understand. There's a reason why. Wet hops slash fresh hops slash whatever you want to call them hops are not kind of the norm in the in the brewing world, right? I mean, mm-hmm. hops have an incredibly short lifespan if you don't do something to them, uh, kind of like the avocado that you take out of the grocery store. One minute it's fine, and the next minute, 30 seconds later, it's bad. And it's kind of the same thing with hops too, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of like when you're um, doing – during the harvest, let's say if you're out in the Yakima Valley um, – they, have to, they pick a specific day, and when they're harvesting, when, they say, they're picking a field, they go, and they don't stop until it's done. Um, and potentially, um, and this is why you also have lot choices for the, the larger breweries, um, because not only is it where it grows, but potentially the, the hop you harvested at the start of the day that's on one side of the field, if you're harvesting the same variety over the course of a couple of days, there might be some variation. Um, you could yeah. be able to potentially pick that up. Now, when they're drying and blending and, you know, and so on, that minimizes that quite a bit. Uh, But it is an agricultural product. Uh, And I think that you guys, I know you've talked about this on on previous shows, but like tomatoes, you know, you you have your tomato plant and some of the tomatoes are perfectly ripe, some of them are not. You're going to get some variety. Or if you have like a larger plot, you know, these plants over here are doing really well and these ones over here aren't doing so well. And, And all of those factors will affect the hops, their oil content, their flavor. Um, now, to the Joe average, they're probably not going to be able to pick that up. Uh, but for the you know, professional hop growers and um, people that are running the, the labs, like at Yakima Chief, they're going to be able to identify some of those differences and you know try and blend them and, and minimize any of that. Um, so it, it is just important to recognize, as an agricultural product, Um, and it does start rotting very quickly, uh, within the first 24 hours. Um, so think about like, uh, you know, you have a whole bunch of bananas sitting around and they, all of a sudden the next day they're like getting overripe. Um, hops will do the same thing. Uh, so it's, that's part of the reason why they have to harvest as quickly as they do. Um, in the Pacific Northwest, it's thousands and thousands of acres, um, but in Michigan, uh, where we're located, most of the hop yards are quite a bit smaller. Um, our hop yard at Blue Lake Hops, we do grow our own. Um, it's a, about a three-acre uh, lot. Um, but we're working with growers from all over the area to, to collect those hops so that we can pro- do our process as quickly as possible. Because, again, they will start decomposing. And th- it's just gross. They get slimy. Um,
0: oh, yeah.
2: It's I, not know, I've, pleasant, pleasant
0: I've, I've seen with. it. <laughs> No, that's something that I learned many years ago uh, after going to Harvest Up in Yakima. And um, homebrewers are amazingly resistant to that information, you know. They'll, uh, they'll pick their hops, let them sit around in the garage drying on screens for a week or something, and it's like, dude, you're oh, just yeah, rotting yeah. those away, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, don't, don't you remember a couple years ago how Yakima Chief moved heaven and earth to get uh, wet hops from the field to South Korea, like right. in 24 hours, to brew a batch. Right. So I and mean, yeah, yeah the, the wet hops are not uh, storage friendly. No.
2: Well, and not only is it not storage friendly, it's also they're they're like little springs. So if you have wet hops after they're picked, those cones are very fluffy, if you will. Mm-hmm. So you have a bulk that you're also trying to ship. So if they're trying to ship, you know from point A to B in the country or in the world, that's what makes it not very convenient to work with. um, Because not only the weight, but also the sheer volume of it.
0: So, Adrian, how did you come up with the idea of freezing fresh wet hops?
2: Um, So, Jim uh, Schlichting, he's the owner of Blue Lake Hops, and he's actually the one that came up with the idea. Um, And basically where it came from is... There was a big boom in Michigan uh, that everybody started growing hops. Um, Back in (laughs) the start of our country, uh, as we know it, uh, New York to Michigan, that was the largest hop growing region. Um, And then we got struck by blight. Um, You have bugs and disease, and that's when the hops really moved to the Pacific Northwest, full steam. um, And the hop growing in in Michigan kind of disappeared. Um, But then you remember that there was a a drought in the Pacific Northwest and in Europe at the same time. I think it was in the early 2000s. Right. Um, What happened was Haas, which is a huge hop trading company, um, they invested in Michigan uh, because we used to be a hop growing region. Uh, A lot of investment went to us to start growing hops again. Uh, so we actually have in uh, northern Michigan, so yes, we really do this. We use our hand as a map. So if you look at the palm of your right hand, uh, the top of your pinky is where Traverse City is, um, which is a fairly well-known or tourist town. Um, that's where our largest hop yards are uh, currently. Um, hops is up there, and that was one of the investments made by Haas. So that's a lot of backstory. but what happened was all of a sudden everybody was planning hop yards, uh, little one-acre, two-acre, three-acre things. And we went from very few hop yards to uh, several hundred growers kind of a thing. Um, and then people figured out, oh, growing hops is kind of difficult. <laughs> so uh, now we have, uh, I, I want to say it's around 30, 40 uh, hop growers still in the state. Uh, so it's dropped off significantly. Um, so what happened when that boom was happening, Jim, was looking at what was happening for Michigan hops and the other hop growers, and kind of the mindset was, how do we compete with the Pacific Northwest? And it's a totally different beast. Um, Where hops grow uh, affects their flavor as well, their terroir. Um, Michigan hops, uh, one of the, I think, better known ones that's significant is Chinook. Uh, Michigan Chinook tastes different than Chinook grown on the West Coast. Um, So it was, how do we compete with the Pacific Northwest? And Jim's idea was, we can't compete with that. How do we make ourselves different? Um, So the Chinook, as an example, is one way that we have differentiated. Uh, We also have some varieties that are grown specifically in Michigan now. We can come back to that. Um, But the idea that he had was, how can we have frozen peas year-round, but we can't have frozen hops?
0: <laughs> That's a great way of thinking about it.
2: Well, and it, it you know, it's kind of like when you, you talk to a child of, of innocence, if you will. He had no idea about making beer. He had no idea about growing hops. Really, he had just started. Um, so it was kind of like, well, why, why not? Why doesn't anybody do this? Um, so there's a, a development lab at Michigan State University, product development lab. Um, so we work with them uh, to develop this process of having basically frozen hops. Um, so it's, it's the process that's key, how we actually do it. Sure. Um, and if any homebrewers out there have tried doing this uh, on their own, um, now if you dry them and freeze them, they'll last longer uh, because it becomes more stable uh, without that moisture in there. Uh, but if you just take some wet hops and throw them in the freezer and then try and pull them out later, uh, you're taking a gamble. Um, <laughs> they might just like come out as mush. Um, it's... You just don't know I, what you're going to get.
0: Yeah, I think I think gamble is putting it mildly, man. You're pretty much just destroying them.
2: Um, so that's kind of that was what made him think of doing this. Um, why can't we do it? We're doing it with other, you know, fruits and vegetables. Um, and Michigan also is um, we're the I believe it's the fifth uh, most diverse state as far as growing of produce. Um, so California, of course, number one, right? Um, so there's Woo-hoo! a lot of interest here as far as, like, growing different varieties of things and processing. Um, and one of the biggest reasons for that is right down the road from us is Gerber baby foods. So we actually, you know, your all your infants all over, if they've had baby food, <laughs> it was probably made right down the road from where we are located. Um, so, again, it's, it's that kind of processing. How do you do something different? Um, um, so. Well, one, I guess.
1: So let's let's get into the idea of frozen hops to begin with. Or sure. sorry, not frozen hops. Wet hops. Um, obviously, all the brewers in the world are familiar with the power of hops and why we use hops and why we use the hops that come to us. What is unique about using a wet hop? What, what's different about it, and why
2: don't sure. we do more of it? So. Big thing, of course, out on the West Coast right now, a huge trend is having those wet hopped beers, the harvest beers. Um, What makes a hop different when it's coming right from the farm to the kettle is everything that was in that hop to start with is in there. Um, When you do the process of drying the hop, again, if any home brewers have tried to dry them on their own, you'll make your house smell lovely. But that also means that you're driving off volatile compounds and oils, so you're losing stuff. You're losing goodness. Um, And then the process of pelletizing the hops as well, Um, if you've ever seen it, if anybody has, I mean, these things are being ground into a powder um, and being thrown into a pelletizer. It's a hammer sending it into a dye. And there's yellow, green dust kind of everywhere. So the material that was in the hops to begin with, you're losing some of it. So what's cool is not only are you, when you're doing a harvest with a wet ale or a wet hop, you have all of that stuff that's in there. Um, Now, some of those things are better than others. Um, So you have a little higher oil content. You have some compounds that are immediately driven off just from heating them. Um, When you're you're drying the hops uh, at home, um, you want to go as low as possible. Uh, But then if you think, like, industrial scale, you also not only have to go low, but you have to get it dry quickly. So um, it's kind of picking that round. Um, And that's one of those things that, like, uh, hop processors have to figure out of, like, what temperature are we going to kill in the hops that we can get, you know, this five-foot-deep pool of hops dry in a reasonable amount of time for the next batch to come in. While preserving Um, the particular characters of that particular lot of hops. It's very weird. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so that, the fact that you're using that wet hop, it, it, it does provide a different taste, a different character within the beer. Um, and I think that when I first started as a home brewer looking at using wet hops, I actually I had wild hops um, that I was propagating um, and making beer with. And you look in the literature, and there's not a lot about it, and you'll see a v- quite a bit of variation of course, I'm old enough, I started off looking at books instead of the Internet. Um, but you would see things like, you know, four times the weight of dry hops up to, like, eight times um, and quite a bit of variation. Um, so that's also another little bit of the mystery. Um, how much bitterness are you going to get out of these hops? How long do you keep them in there for? Um, you have no idea what the alpha acid content is uh, or the moisture. Um, so that presents a lot of challenges. Um now, as a home brewer, just make the beer. It's going to be beer. If beer wants to happen, you, it, it's going to be great <laughs> no matter what you do. Uh, but what this does allow you to do with our product is you can actually make it reproducible and you can make it year-round. Um, and that's what's unique about the, the the Blue Lake hops.
0: How many different varieties uh, do you have available?
2: Uh, so currently, and I have to like actually open up our <laughs> page to say, look at
0: it. Uh, there, By the way, let me just – let me just mention, I was on your website this morning, and I was, like, really impressed, man. There's a lot of good information there.
2: Good. Thank you. I'm the webmaster as well. Oh, great.
0: <laughs> I, good I, on you, man.
2: <laughs> I, I'm i trying to keep it. Uh, I'm brewing full-time now, and so this is kind of on the side. Um, but, yeah, I, I see 17 different varieties, but then uh, we also have year, different harvest years, too. Um, And we don't have the 2023 harvest data on there yet. Um, So we have the hops. uh, We sent them to the lab so we can have the data. Um, So once that's up, then I'll have that on there. Um, Some of these will be repeats. Some of them are classic hops. uh, And then we have some uh, new varieties, including uh, Vista, uh, which is kind of the the hot new public hop that's out there.
0: Oh, cool. Now, one of the ones you sent us was copper, which not a lot of people are familiar with. I've at least heard of it due to some friends in Michigan, but I know nothing about it. I've never used it. So tell us a bit about copper.
2: So this is part of the, how do we compete with the Pacific Northwest? (laughs) Um, We certainly can't in volume, Uh, but Great Lakes Hops uh, is a company uh, outside of Holland, Michigan, South of us. Uh, So people are probably familiar with New Holland uh, Brewing Company, um, So it's in that area, but what they started doing was their own hop breeding program, Um, and that hop breeding program they were looking for varieties to develop that would grow specifically in Michigan and do well in our in our environment. Um, So Copper was one of the results of that. Um, So what's cool about Copper? um, It it is kind of a a fruit punch, fruit bowl sort of a thing. There's some tropical, uh, but what I think sets it apart is it has a cherry flavor. Um, especially toward the end. Um, and that makes it kind of unique. Now, Michigan also, Traverse City, Traverse City cherries. Uh cherries kind of a big thing uh, for our state. Um, so that's one of the, the neat things about using that hop. Um, now, I, some people can taste it better than others. Um, I was with a, a, a person that we went, and uh, they were not, uh, they, they weren't beer savvy, if you will. They were just, they're bud-like drinkers, if you will. But I was like, "Here, try this beer. Take a little taste of this." And um, she's like, "Oh my gosh, I can taste cherry in this. This is really good." <laughs> and I was like, "Yep, that's just of copper course. hops. Just copper hops." Um, so she happened to be a super taster too, so that that kind of helps.
0: So, what's the best way to make use of these wet hops?
2: Um, with uh, when you're brewing in your brewing process. Uh, the longer the hops are in the boil, uh, the more the alpha acid, as isomerized, the more of the uh, flavors and characters you lose. And you've talked about before there's a lot of uh, the research, especially from Yakima Chief, about the uh, types of things that carry over uh, all the way through the, the, the right. from the boil to the end. Right. Um, when you have wet hops, you don't want to use them for bettering. Um, I do have one beer that I make here at the brewery uh, doing that, uh, but it's, it, you're losing a lot of those volatiles. They're just boiling off, um, almost as bad as just drying the hops. Um, so the best way um, is using those wet hops at the very end um, so you can really pick up those those fresh-type flavors. Um, and fresh is, is such a hard thing to describe to people. You, you know it when you taste it. And we usually talk about, well, can you tell the difference between orange juice that you buy at the store versus orange juice that you just squeezed? tastes very different, but how do you describe right. that? It, it just, It's just different. It's just different. It's um, fresher. Yeah, right. Um, so in throwing them in, um, I, again, like to use them at the end. Um, I'm a huge fan of roll pooling with them. Um, so the latest into the boil, I, I might do a 15-minute um, or 10-minute uh, but I really prefer to doing a flame out uh, and whirlpooling with them for like 15 minutes at flame out. Um, I also a huge fan of um, uh, dropping the temperature down to about 170 uh, and doing a whirlpool with them there. Um, again, for about 15 minutes. Uh, and each like temperature that you do that whirlpool out will affect what kind of flavors that you get out of it. Um, the warmer it is, the higher the temperature. Uh, the uh, faster you're going to get the oils into solution, um, but then potentially drive off flavors too. Um, so that's, again, where when you start looking up temperatures to whirlpool with hops, uh, you see quite a bit of different variety. Uh, if you go as low as like 160, um, you know, how long are they going to sit in there before those oils really start to, to become valuable? It um, takes a long time. Uh, I did a harvest ale uh, with our product Um with our Vista hops, Um, and I used, uh, I did exactly that. I did uh, half of my hops that I used, I put it in flame-out, and then I dropped the temperature down to 170, and then I put in the other half of my hops. And at the end, I had this lovely, bright, yellow, green (laughs) film of oil um, in my kettle, uh, so, I like, took a little spoon and tried to like stir it uh, around to make sure that it all got down into the fermenter um, and you know it's it 's a fabulous beer, uh, not only highlighting uh, vista hops but then also again that kind of fresh character
1: so when so- you 're doing that whirlpool or the cool pool or both, uh, you had mentioned earlier hey you know there 's a lot of guidance on how much of these hops to use. Uh, the packages that we got, these are two-ounce packages. Uh, so if we're looking at like a sort of a typical five-gallon homebrew size, like how much – What's is there any sort of guidance for how much that we're trying to get in there for aroma?
2: Yes. So the 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 best thing that I can do to describe it is I did the work for everyone to figure out if these were dry pellet hops, what would it be? Um, So specifically for the copper hops, if you go to our website, BlueLakeHops.com, and you go to the hop profiles, you can click on copper. Um, Right in there, uh, not only is the uh, alpha acid content, um, but then also values for if it was 10% moisture. Um, So if that was a dry pellet, it would be about 10.1% alpha acid. Um, When it's wet, it's only 3.06% alpha acid. Uh, so that's a, a thing that I, I put that on there because I think a lot of home brewers and, and professional brewers, they get confused. They're like, what do you mean it's only 3%? It's so stinking low. Well, there's a lot of water in there.
0: Yeah, um, you know what? When I looked at your website, I saw that, and it took me a second to grok that's what was going on.
2: Yeah. Um, and then so I have uh, literally, I tried to on every page, Grown where it's grown, origin, Michigan, uh, for this one. Uh, the moisture content is 72.7%. Uh, and then I have the use by weight ratio. So for copper hot specifically, I have one to three point three zero. So that means if you had one ounce of dry pellets, that would be equal to three point three ounces wet. Okay. So if you're trying to do a recipe and do alpha acid, which of course Whirlpool you know, are you getting it or not? I think you are. But um your able to make a better gauge of it. And there's quite a bit of variety from harvest to harvest to hop variety to hop variety, what that ratio is. And the formula that I use to do that, I mean, it's not a secret, but it's uh, actually was provided by Michigan State University um, for the hop growers so that they could look at when you're in the field and you measure uh, the moisture content of the hop, and then you can predict what the alpha acid is. Um, so that's how I was able to, to, to do that formula, um, and I could throw a link on our website or something for that too. Um, so that that's what I did for every single half variety, every single harvest. Um, so the two-ounce packages, um, that's just kind of a convenient size. Um, we might start doing some four-ounce packages as well. I think that might be a little more friendly. Um, so for a home brewer, I mean, if, if you think of that, like one-ounce dry is – three ounces wet well four ounces is going to be pretty damn good um you know it'll be a little bit more but hey who wants to have a partial bag of wet hops sitting around and if so you know do it easy um i mean you wrote the book on it uh you know make life easy uh so i would do that um in home in the home brew size scale five gallons um if you were to typically like think of like throwing in an ounce of hops in the Whirlpool, just throw of those packets. But I will say this um, as a warning, wet hops, these are whole cone hops. Please, please, please either put them in a bag or in a spider. Uh, do not throw them loose into your kettle uh, because if you have any plumbing for your chiller, uh, it just takes one hop cone and you're going to have a very bad afternoon trying to get that <laughs> unplugged.
0: Yeah, right. We uh, we both have really good filter systems in our kettles, so I may just disregard your advice and throw it in a hole and live with the <laughs> consequence. Um, I, I have well, talked
2: to people that have done that. That I'm like, you didn't bag it or anything, or they did I when I was homebrewing, I had a big false bottom, so never an issue. Um, right, but and that's you
0: know, that's sometimes. basically that's basically what the uh, the bottom of our grandfather systems is like. So. Exactly. Uh, you know, I may I may give it a go.
1: Now, so, now, of course, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to let him give it a go and see what his experience is. <laughs> and then ask me how it
0: went. Yeah. And, uh, and no matter what, I'll tell him it went great. So <laughs> so what about using them for dry hopping, Adrian? Do you ever do that?
2: Well, according to the FDA, uh, we recommend oh, sure. that we only use our hops on the hot side. Um, and I'm going to quote them. I think it's a, – a, Hops are generally not consumed raw, um, so there's nothing that says you can't, um, right. but uh, have I? Absolutely, um, and it does some really cool different things, um, but then the other thing I will say is these hops went right from the field to our process to the freezer, um, so if there's any st- strays <laughs> floating along right. with them, they're going to be in there. Um, is and that a beetle I see in my bag? Exactly, exactly. Um, so that—that's the—the only warning I'd give. I just kind of look through them, and generally you don't get a lot of big bugs, if you will. Um, so the biggest thing for hops are like spider mites, aphids, those kinds of things. Um, so back to your question, though, Denny. Yeah, I absolutely have thrown them in uh, uh, wet hops for dry hopping, which kind of goes again back to that language. I'm dry hopping with wet hops. So is it wet hopping or dry hopping? What What is that?
0: Well, um, I mean, Normally
2: <laughs> when you dry hop, you're wetting the dries, but here you're wetting the wets. Right, right. Um, now this is where it gets really cool, I think. Um, and both of you, uh, when I talked to you, in, we were at Homebrew Con in San Diego. Um, what I did, and I think this is an awesome way that you can try and do something different with your homebrew. Um, I took a blonde ale, just my real basic blonde ale, um, and I sent that through a uh, hop rocket from Blickman. Um, there are other ways that you could do it um, and uh, the little pump too. And what I did was I recirculated my beer on those hops, those wet hops And so if, if for the homebrewers other terms you might think of like a Randall um, so a randle you put in line with your keg, and then you're going from the, the randle to your tap. And when you do that, you get a lot of hop bits that will come out. Uh, the beer is going to be cloudier because the oils that are coming through and so on. So what I did was I, instead of going to a tap, I just went right back to the keg and I recirculated it. Uh, and that allowed the hops to kind of act like a natural filter bed too. Um, and then you can get up some different flavors uh, from that. Uh, one of the ones that I thought was the, uh, I mean, Cool ones, uh, Crystal hops, old school hop for those of us that brewed a long time ago. Uh, it's supposed to be America's noble hop, uh, earthy, spicy, that kind of a thing. When I sent my blonde ale through those Crystal hops that were wet, it tasted more like orange um, than anything else. Um, and I don't know if you, you, either of you, remember tasting that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the one yeah, that I do, actually, the one that I, I think is a real shocker was Amarillo, uh, because Amarillo, you think orange, citrusy. Um, when you use wet Amarillo, it came through as watermelon rind. And it was so cool to like see so many homebrewers there and, and you guys when you're tasting it, and everybody's face is kind of like, they're tasting like, what is that taste? I know that taste. And then I would wait a second and be like, watermelon rind. They're like,
0: that's it.
2: <laughs> that's what I'm tasting.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely remember tasting that one because it was like, whoa, this is something different.
2: Yeah, and and so, again, it's anything that you do with a hop, whatever you do for processing it, whatever you do for your brewing process, anything that you do will give you different flavors and different characteristics, and, well, that's why brewing is so freaking cool.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, and see, now I'm just thinking two questions. Uh, One, spider mites, extra protein, does that impact your haze level?
2: <laughs> uh, not that I've seen, no. <laughs> well, and
1: the other question, actually, with the example that you just gave, there using the hop rocket to sort of do a recirculating fusion—a uh, late addition, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know for a lot of brewers nowadays, uh, particularly around dry hopping, you see them coming up with all sorts of gidgets and gadgets to introduce hops into the fermenter with uh, minimal O2 exposure and uh, mm-hmm. you know CO2 flushing. Any oxygen concerns with these wet hops? Because, I mean, people already talk about, oh, you know, whole hops already kind of come entrained with a lot of oxygen and that sort of stuff.
2: Oh, sure. and But that's also, so our, the product, um, ours is vacuum sealed. Um, I can't get into the details of what we do for it. Um, but as long as if, if you receive those hops and the vacuum seal is still good, uh, oxygen is not a concern. Um, if the seal, something happened to it, uh, and it's, as it's thawing, it like, cause they will, as they're thawing, they'll start expanding. It might break the seal at that moment, but if it's still like nice and tight, uh, and frozen when you get it, we're good. Um, so oxygen then, not a problem, but yeah, as soon as you open up that bag, um, they will start reacting with oxygen, but it. it Again, it, it's homebrewing. Uh, you know, you're not gonna yeah. don't let them sit don't let them sit out on the counter for a week before you brew. Um, and and that's why I want to say for the process too. How do you uh, when you get these frozen hops, throw them in your freezer till you're ready to brew. Uh, which is also why it's cool that you like can do whenever uh, for a wet hop. Um, but when you're ready to brew, just pull them out, throw them on the counter, let them thaw on their own. Um, if you forget to pull them out for whatever reason. Uh, you can throw them in some water. Uh, that will help them thaw out faster. Uh, my experience, at least with our uh, two-pound and five-pound packages, um, I've had some that as they've uh, thawed, that, that vacuum breaks, and you might get some water in there. Um, so I, I always just think it's better just throw them out on the counter, let them thaw out, and once you open them, they'll start to expand. Uh, you can open them up. You can see the lupulin in there. You'll feel the moisture, um, and then you, you know it's good. Um Another thing, I, as I'm thinking about that, for uh, a lot of people, when they look at hops, they're concerned if they see any kind of brown or discoloration in the hops. Um, did you guys uh, notice the Amarillo looked different than the other hops? Yep. Yeah, I did. Amarillo, uh, we, we got those from VGF um, with another technology that we used to get them from there to here. Um, we got the hops, and we opened them up, and we're like, oh, my God, these are ugly. <laughs> These are terrible hops. So I took a picture of them, sent them back to uh, VGF and be like, hey, is this right? Um, And they said, yeah, they they are ugly hops. Um, And they've actually said that they get nicked quite often for color for the hops because uh, they don't match the level of bright green, if you will. Um, Now, there's a real reason why it was called Amarillo Gold. I mean, they're they're yellowish in color. Um, But different varieties will have different, like, kind of, amounts of brownness to them, um, is, and that varies from hop to hop. Um, another cool variety that we have here in Michigan is called Mackinac. Um, same kind of thing. It just has a brown uh, tinges usually when it's ready to harvest, um, as opposed to like if you're used to seeing your, your cascade being bright green or mosaic, things like that. Um, so you can actually see that variety. You can't see that when you have a ground-up pellet because it's all mixed up together. Um, so a little bit of brown, totally good. Um, as long as that vacuum seal is there um, and the, you know, let them thaw out uh, before you throw them into the kettle. Um, people also will ask, well, can I just throw them in there frozen? Sure, you can. Um, you know, if, if you're on the homebrew scale, you're talking about a couple of ounces and five gallons, it's probably not going to be a huge temperature shock to you know, the, the overall system. Um, I just think it's lovely to have them thawed out and you can smell them um, because... <laughs> It's just cool. It's just way cooler that way.
1: Well, now I'm trying to figure out the heat calculation in my head for the heat density of frozen hops and how much of a temperature drop can I go from just off the boil to a cool pool using frozen hops.
2: <laughs> yeah. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I went down the same road as a home brewer for many years of like, I got to get maximum efficiency, and what about this temperature? And, um, you know, I'm, I'm measuring, uh, you know, to the nearest tenth of a gram for my hops, and I'm like, And then one day I'm just like, that's stupid. Why am I doing this? Um, And, you know, make life easier. If it's not fun, if it's not easy, you're not going to want to keep doing it. And that's what I tell people all the time. I mean, it can be as easy or as hard as you want. It can be as simple or as complicated as you want. And, you know, Drew, if you want to make it super complicated because that's awesome to you, more power to you, man. You you go right ahead and do that because, again, that's what's awesome about homebrewing. You can do so many different things. And... You just you, you, you think about it. It's just fun.
0: Yeah, that's right, man. We tell people a lot of times, uh, you know, this is something we wouldn't do, like decoction mashing, for instance. Mm-hmm. But if they <laughs> want to do it, go, go ahead. I, I always say the best reason to do a decoction mash is to learn why you never want to do a decoction mash <laughs> that's again.
2: exactly just, what I was going to say. I did it twice, and I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> the, the second best reason to do a decoction <laughs> mash. That's
0: right, man.
1: The second best reason to do a decoction mash is because you have a party going on, and you want to keep people
2: distracted. Oh, yeah. yeah, Give them something to do. (laughs)
0: Exactly. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) here, stir this for four hours.
1: (laughs) 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 Dodge the lava when it comes boiling out of the kettle. Um, Yeah, right. So now, Adrian, obviously when we're talking about wet hops or fresh hops or XYZ hops here, Here in the states, everybody's first impression of what you do with those is going to be, well, you got to make an IPA, or maybe if you're feeling a little old school, a pale ale. Um, Beyond that, where do where have you used these? Where do you see these having an application? Of course,
2: my brain being me, I go, I can make a saison with these, couldn't I? Yeah, you can make anything you want. Uh, The only limitation is the varieties that we currently have, which we're expanding uh every year um and i have some more exciting things that are happening for us too in the next year or two um but yeah i mean you could the sky's the limit uh again it's it's how that fresh flavor comes through that makes it unique that makes it different um so yes ipa uh throwing those in a whirlpool uh pale ale i think is uh when you Kind of back off on the caramel, of course. Uh, In the Midwest, here we we do like our caramel malt more than uh, maybe the other coasts do. But um, wait, that explains it. Denny's from Iowa. (laughs) No, (laughs) that's right, man. That's right. Well, well, you think, and it's how the pendulum swings. You know, you got your East Coast. You guys like, you know, cut out all the caramel malts, and then you had your sweet stuff on the, the East Coast or your your New England IPA versus West Coast IPA. Well, here in the Midwest, Michigan. What do we have? We have Bell's Two-Hearted. It's a nice balanced beer, uh, has plenty of caramel background from the caramel malts, but, you know, it's not a a sweet tooth either. Um, I digress. Uh, Not uh, on this podcast. That never happens. Never, never. Um, So any variety. Uh, Pale Ale, I think, helps to showcase the flavor better. Um, Even a Blonde Ale... Uh, really helps highlight the hop more uh, because you don't want um, a bunch of other stuff overshadowing it necessarily. Um, I also would say a lot of people, especially when they do harvest ales because they don't know how much to put in, they overdo it. Um, And you talk to people that they put in like 10 times the weight. Um, It happens professionally as well. And when you use a huge quantity of hops like that, wet hops, um, two things that happen. One, you're losing a lot of beer. Because they're just like sponges. Um, it, not as bad as dry hops, of course, but you know they're fluffy. They're going to hold on to liquid, just surface tension, things like that. Um, but also you can pick up a lot of flavors that you might not want, like chlorophyll, uh, grassy-type flavors. Um, and usually when you get those, it's because you just put in too many damn hops. Um, you're, there's a saturation point for the oils. And just like... Uh, You know, back in the day, you talk about like dry hopping for a minimum of seven days. And what have we found? Well, you know what? You can do an awful lot of things in like three days. It's already saturated, so that extra time's not actually doing anything. Or, you know, the flavor, the bitterness threshold of 100 IBUs. Well, my beers back back during the bitterness wars, 190 IBUs. It's like, well, but you can't taste it. So, what's the point? The so point was, was you
0: could uh, put it on your uh, Facebook page and make people go, ooh, I need that.
2: Right, yeah. right. Or talk um, about how you just spent $100 on hops for a homebrew batch. Hmm? Yeah, your five-gallon batch, and you only got one <laughs> gallon of beer out of it. But yeah, it was right. amazing. <laughs> All right.
1: Well, I'm trying to think. I mean, so, like, what's the – you've mentioned blonde, you mentioned pale, you've mentioned IPA, obviously. What's the craziest thing you've brewed using these? <sighs>
2: Uh most of the things that I'm brewing, I'm, I'm, I'm also using these hops at our brewery, uh, Sawyer's Brewing Company in, in Montague. And so I have to be kind of cognizant of that. Um, and it's two small towns right next door to each other. And frankly, we have people that have never had craft beer before. I'm like, where have you been for the last 20 years? <laughs> I was um, just
1: thinking, how does that happen nowadays?
2: Yeah, well, it, it's and not only that, there's two other breweries within 300 yards of us. <laughs> um, so, oh, man. Uh, so a lot of our customers are still – my number one summer seller is my Blondale. Um, they're still looking for that uh, kind of basic thing um, or the nuance, if you will, uh, not the extremes. Um, so what I have been doing uh, to to be kind of fantastic, honestly, the, the harvest sale I just did uh, with the Vista hops, um, I used a lot of wet hops in the Whirlpool. Um, I, I would have to figure out the math on it, but it was five pounds at zero and five pounds at uh, 170 for a uh, one-and-a-half barrel batch, so 50 gallons. Um, that was a fair amount uh, to do that. Uh, so... And then doing the the hop rocket, um, that's a pretty crazy thing too. I think for getting the different flavors. Um, and I haven't honestly had enough time to even play with all the ideas that I have in different varieties. Or um, you know, there's uh, Brewer's Gold. One of the flavor descriptors for that is black currant.
0: Yeah, but right. Most,
2: but what do most people use Brewer's Gold in? Use it for the boil because it's a bittering hop. So you know, that's one of those things. I'm like, what happens if I use brewer's gold in a whirlpool would i get more of that black currant flavor um or if i use it on the cold side uh i haven't had time to do that and that's why we're trying to get more people to use these hops to like you know see what they find out um this is kind of uncharted territory if you will
1: well and i think brewer's gold is due for a comeback because it ended up being high on uh, ych's survivables chart too yeah, uh, right. It has a lot of uh, potential for IPAs, and it is an old-school
2: hop, but it's a good one. Well, and same, uh, Cascade. Um, it's becoming more popular now because now people are talking about um, uh, freeing thiols and how Cascade has a lot of bound thiols in it. So it's kind of becoming a more trendy hop again as well. Not that it totally went away, of course, but, I mean, back when Sierra Nevada came out, that was like the hot hop that everybody used. Um, and now, of course, it's Mosaic and Simcoe and Citra. Uh, And Galaxy. uh, I'm I'm not hearing as much Galaxy, at least in this area, (laughs) if you will. No, No, Galaxy seems to have pulled back,
1: but but still. For a while there, it felt like every uh, IPA had to be some mixture of Mosaic, Citra, uh, and Galaxy in some quantity.
2: Well, and now I think one of the big things, too, uh, is Galaxy as far as when they talk about Haze positive and Haze negative hops, Mm -hmm. uh, Galaxy being uh, Haze positive – and I use that in my New England IPA, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't use very much of it, uh, and it makes a big difference. So I'll just put that out there for everybody.
1: Speaking, speaking of the hazies, we didn't really touch on that with these. You know, uh, I'm, assu- I'm assuming there's nothing new and different about using one of these if you want to on a hazy.
2: No, not at all. Um, you just you, you have some more oil in there. Um, and that, that freshness, if you will, if you were to do your exact same recipe as normal, I mean your hazy, you're, you're doing a whole lot of late hop additions. Um, what I would throw out there for people, a good choice for a hazy would be the Mackinac hop. Uh, Mackinac is kind of uh, one of the more citrusy ones, and it's uh, pretty high alpha acid, um, so that would be a, a good choice in, in uh, making a New England IPA with a, with our wet hops.
1: And for anyone not from that part of the world, if you go and you look on the website, Mackinac is spelled with a C (laughs) at the end.
2: Yes, that is correct. It is not Mackinac. Uh, It's Uh, (laughs) Mackinac. It's the uh, French influence of northern Michigan.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, Denny, any other questions about the the hops before we tell (laughs) people how to get their hands
0: on them? Uh no, I I think that uh, I'm I'm ready to go out there and start brewing with them, man. Yeah, but that's. Well, I want to throw you.
2: a little. I want to throw a nugget out there for everyone.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: this is not finalized yet, but it's well NDAs have been signed. How about I say that? Okay. Uh We are looking at helping a German company carry their product to the United States. Um, And I'm actually going to be meeting with the uh, brewer in Germany here after Thanksgiving. Um, His process is different. It is still a wet hop. um, But the ability to use a wet German hop now um, in your brewing process. And I actually um, am hoping next week I'm going to make a harvest ale using uh, Mandra Bavaria uh, that I received from this grower. Um, So... I don't know if anybody else can say that they've used a wet hop from Germany, but uh, (laughs) I know, man, that's uh, that's pretty wild. Pretty geeked about that. So uh, that product hopefully will be available for the 2024 harvest. Uh, He does have this year's harvest as well, uh, but getting uh, agricultural products shipped from you know one part of the world to the other uh, poses some different challenges. Um, So we're we're looking forward to that, Um, and we're also working on some other technologies and companies uh, to be able to get hops from uh, the Pacific Northwest, uh, like we did with the Amarillo, um, because that doesn't grow in Michigan. Uh, So uh, again, we're just expanding our our varieties every single year. Um, And if people are looking for quantities, uh, two ounces is what we do sell to the homebrew market, and that's what's on the website, but we also have uh, two-pound packages that are available on the homebrew market too. Um, If you're using the two-pounders, that's a lot of hops, so I hope you're making a lot of beer.
0: <laughs> so, right. Adrian, if people want to try some of your hops, how do they get a hold of them?
2: Um, easiest thing probably would be to go to our website. Uh, it's bluelakehops.com, so B-L-U-E-L-A-K-E-H-O-P-S.com. Uh, um, and on there, uh, it's a regular website. You can shop. You can select the different varieties, add them to your cart. Um, we do have the contact information on there as well. Um I do get questions that people will send through the website that then are directed to me. Um, people could also email me directly. Uh, my email is easy enough. It's just adrian at blue um, And people can just send me questions. Um, not a problem at all. Um, and also if there's any uh, homebrew clubs out there that might be interested in trying to uh, do something larger, um, we are working with homebrew clubs to try and like, kind of help sponsor competitions with our hops. Uh, We just recently did this uh, with the uh, uh, homebrew group in Chicago uh, called Chaos, uh, where they had several different homebrew clubs that they were all given. Uh, We provided the hops. Uh, They all got the same hops. Uh, They got uh, yeast from Omega, and then they had a competition with them. Um, So we're looking for homebrew clubs, groups that might want to do that, As far as uh, the expense of buying the hops, probably the biggest part, honestly, is the cost for shipping. Um, So that's something for people to be aware of, Um, especially if you're on the West Coast. um, Shipping from Michigan, quite a bit more expensive. Uh, We're hoping to be able to establish basically a a regional uh, distribution so that we can lower that cost. Uh, But that is uh, one thing to be aware of, too.
1: There we are. All right, so BlueLakeHops.com. And you can go experience the year-round joy of wet, not fresh hops, wet hops.
2: Wet wet, and fresh? Wet, Are they still fresh? fresh? Are fro- they still fresh? if they're?
1: They fr- look, we're going to borrow a term from the, uh, the, the food industry that you mentioned.
2: They're fresh frozen. There you go. That's right.
0: There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Adrian, thank you so much for the time and the hops, man. And I will shoot you an email after I have a chance to use them.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing some feedback from you guys with your experience and and what you think of the flavor of them.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to trying. This is something uh, really unique and different. And uh, you know, all you guys out there who are thinking about trying these, bite the bullet, pay for the shipping, give them a shot. So, okay, man, thanks again, and we'll talk to you again soon. I hope. Awesome, thanks, guys. Cheers. Well, Adrian was kind enough to send us some samples of these hops and they are sitting in my freezer at the moment, but I am just dying to get a chance to play with them and see what they, uh, what they'll do for me.
1: I predict an IPA. Sorry. That's what the beer, <laughs> that, that's what the beer terror is showing me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they're mainly made for whirlpool and late edition stuff like that. An IPA seems the perfect place to use them.
1: I agree. So I can't wait to see what you what you come up with and how well these things work. Uh, but, yeah, we'll have to find out, won't
0: we? Yep, yep, I agree, man. And it's going to be really interesting to find out. Uh, plus, they sent us uh, some varieties that uh, are not generally available, like Michigan Copper, which is supposed to be just a stunningly good hop, so. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Amen. Let's go see what we can do. And in the meanwhile, (laughs) like we said, we'll include a link to Blue Lake Hops over in the show notes, so you can go ahead and buy your own.
0: Yeah, and uh, as pointed out in the interview, shipping does get a bit up there because, you know, they got to ship them via FedEx. But on the other hand, if they're fantastic, it's going to be worth it. Amen. Okay, I think it's time to, like, just get the heck out of here. We've bothered people long enough.
1: There you go. Let's get something other and quick tips.
0: Go! All right. We'll be right back. The ultimate all-in-one electric homebrewing system is here. The new Grainfather G40 can produce up to 11 gallons of beer and features all the latest advancements in homebrewing technology, including wireless control so you can monitor your brew day from the Grainfather app. With an innovative new grain basket design that improves wort flow, reaching mash efficiencies of 75% or more is easy. The 3,300-watt heating element brings your wort to a boil quickly without any scorching, and the large hop plate filter guarantees that no unwanted grain matter or hop tube reaches your fermenter. Every G40 comes standard with a high powered built in pump that can handle temperatures over 200 degrees Fahrenheit and a full three year warranty that guarantees that you will be able to keep on brewing no matter what. The new Grandfather G40 is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer or online at grandfather.com. brewing? I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my wort to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super-fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your wort in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art. They're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. We are ready to wrap up the show and drew's taken both the quick tip and the something other this week
1: yep my quick tip is uh don't be stingy go invest in a water leak sensor uh and <laughs> what do i mean by that i mean you know go spend 10 bucks on amazon or the hardware store and get yourself a little honeywell sensor at the cheapest and just put it in your brewery where you're prone to probably have leaks because we deal with water uh and so the reason why i mention this is because uh, just the other day as we're recording, this is the day after Thanksgiving, uh just the other day, literally Thanksgiving morning, I woke up to find my water sensors going off because I had a leak that was going down into my cellar area where I store some of my beer equipment. Uh and <laughs> no. Oh yeah, so quickly figured out what was going on there and fixed a leak, which was a wonderful way to kick off Thanksgiving morning. But I will tell you, because it was down in my cellar, I'm never down in that in that area. Right? I mean I go into my cellar maybe like a couple times a month. And so I could have been leaking in there for a good, good, good long while before I discovered it. So get yourself oh, a a couple of water sensors. Yeah, again, they're like ten bucks. They're super cheap insurance. Uh if you want to be fancy, you can get some of the ones that people were telling me about online that will actually text message you if something's leaking and it's detected a leak. Uh, I'm not that fancy in this particular case. I just want something that sits down on the ground and goes, me, 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 me. Which is exactly what this. Is. <laughs> I will also say, make sure that you're familiar with the sound of it, because I was sitting there having my morning coffee, half half awake, and going, "Huh, what is that noise? That is oh, weird." Man. And then uh, then we, we, then remembered, "Oh, that's the water leak sensor."
0: Yeah, exactly. I just hate it when that happens.
1: <laughs> so go spend ten bucks and go get yourself a water leak sensor and uh, install it in places where you uh, never go, but you don't want
0: water. <laughs> <laughs> Or places you don't go often enough. Yeah,
1: there you go. All right, and now for something other than beer, because life cannot be lived one pint at a time. You know that I like murder mysteries. I've been writing a couple murder mysteries for a good long while. Uh, and I have a giant collection of murder mystery books. Uh, come uh, come at me with your suggestions, because I, I love this stuff. One of my favorite series has always been the Nero Wolf series by Rex Stout. Uh Danny, did you ever read Nero Wolf?
0: I don't think I did. Uh, I think maybe like I saw like a, a movie adaptation of one of the books once and that's about as familiar as I am. Yeah,
1: well I'm still really bummed that the, uh, A&E, uh, the A&E repertory theater version that they had with Timothy Hutton as Archie Goodwin is not available for streaming anywhere and I'm lucky enough to own the DVDs, but still. Um,
0: Maybe Hallmark will do it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I somehow don't think Nero Wolf is Hallmark uh, material. Um, sorry, folks. Uh, off, offline conversation that Danny and I were having. Um, but I really like the Nero Wolf books. I have, I think, almost all of them, and there were a lot. Um, but looking for things inspired by and kind of reminded me of that, I picked up a series called the Pentecost and Parker Mystery Series. Uh, they're currently three books in the series, and book number four gets released, I think, next week. Uh, they're by an author named Stephen Spotswood, and they are very, very clearly heavily inspired by Nero Wolf. The uh, the, the cloning is still fresh on the DNA there. Um, but instead of it being Nero Wolf as a recluse who loves orchids with his, you know, man about town, Archie Goodwin, it is a woman detective by the name of Pentecost, Mrs. Pentecost, uh, who suffers from MS and the MS is what keeps her kind of housebound a little bit. Uh, and she has, uh, she has her Archie Goodwin, a woman by the name of Willow Jean Parker. Now, the moniker, Willow Jean. Really? Uh, but Willow Jean Parker is her, her woman about town and who it was a runaway at the age of 15 from her family and worked for a number of years as a circus roustabout. And so it has all sorts of skills that she learned in the circus. Uh, so it's a very fun series, fairly lightweight, uh, at least as far as murder mysteries go. Uh, but also really kind of hits that Nero Wolf vibe that I like sometimes. Cool, man. Yeah. That sounds pretty interesting. Yep. So again, that's uh, Pentecost and Parker Mysteries by Stephen Spotswood. There are currently three of them. And like I said, book number four is coming out like in a week or two. So wow. looking forward to it.
0: So you've got your winter planned. Uh,
1: I, got, I got a day in my winter plan.
0: <laughs> I don't know where you find the time, man. I don't sleep. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Thank you for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget that you can follow us on Twitter where we're at EXP Brewing. I guess that's actually called X. We've got to change the script. <sighs> We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We hang out lots of places online. You can find Drew at the uh, homebrewing subreddit or the Slack homebrewing channel. You can find me hanging around the AHA discussion forum. Uh, I spend way too much time on Facebook. I hang out at the beer garden, at the brew house. Uh, I'm around lots of places. If you want to ask us a question or suggest topics, recipes, experiments, or just rant and rave, you can email us at podcast at com. Or if you want to get a hold of each one of us individually, I'm Denny at com, and he's Drew at com, And we have a phone number Not that you can actually call Drew up and uh, harass him, but you can uh, send us a text or leave us a voicemail at 626-765-1AL. That's 626-765-1253. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing. Whee!